This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our reading in the life of Jesus today is found in John's Gospel, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and the disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief wine steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Gaina of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And then his disciples believed in him. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through... Jesus, who I believe is still turning water into wine. Uh, We're starting three weeks uh, about God and money. Suzanne, thanks for setting that stage so well for us. Um, There's probably no subject that creates more anxiety than church and money. Hey, Matt, can you turn that down just a little bit? That's that's pretty loud for me. And uh, no subject that is also more important as a disciple or a follower of Jesus I'm not going to be able to cover this in one week, or I would try to do that. Uh, it's a really big subject. There's a lot there. Uh, we're going to set the table today, uh, get us started on the journey, and hope that you will continue to join with us. Um, the question that we're going to wrestle with is not, how much do I give to the church? Is not that. The question is, how is it with me and money? How's my relationship with money? Had I won the Powerball on Wednesday, (laughs) assuming that I would live to be 100, which is a pretty optimistic assumption, quick calculations was that after taxes, after tithing, that would be giving the first 10% to God, that I would have had somewhere around $60,000 a day to spend the rest of my life. I bought a ticket. (laughs) But the $1.5 billion question was, but would you be happy? Hmm. Buddy Post won $16 million in 1988, Pennsylvania Lottery, one of the first big winners of the lottery. And he said that he was living proof that money can't buy happiness. One of the most intriguing interviews I ever read Within 10 years of winning $16 million, his wife left him. 
His brother was convicted of attempted murder and serving a life sentence. His landlord successfully sued him for about a third of everything that he had won. This is what he wrote. I thought my friends cared a little bit about me, but it turns out they cared more about money. And then this line, I'll never forget it. Money draws flies. Ooh. Mm. Here's a great devotional activity we want to encourage you to work with. Encourage you to write a financial autobiography, a financial timeline. And we've done that on church council retreats and when we gather uh, to say, how was our spiritual life? This is what it would look like. You draw a timeline. Here's zero when I was born. Here's where I am now. Here's the next 15, 20 years. And then ask yourself on a spiritual timeline, when did I feel the closest to God? When did I feel the furthest away from God? And, and what was happening at those points in my life and why was that? And that's a great place to start. But then to add another line to that, a financial timeline, and to, to ask yourself, um, how was it with me and money then? Was it good? Was it bad? Why was that? And what would I want it to be as we go forward? We're going to read the same second reading for the next three weeks. Uh, it's found in Paul's first letter to Timothy. I came back from sabbatical. I learned that we had a podcast. That was kind of interesting, and I didn't know my sermons were being podcast out there, and people were listening to them, and I'm like, uh-oh, I better start making sure I'm, I'm uh, grounding things. But one thing I learned was that unless, you, unless I tell you, podcast world, we're reading from 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. You wouldn't know that on the podcast. Be interesting if you could read all of the sixth chapter in your devotional life. It would be interesting if we did that every week, but we know we don't have a tolerance for these kind of long readings. I hope that you'll do that, because I hope you'll spend some time with the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy by yourself, devotionally, maybe in small groups, with your family, with your partners. Paul, this is what's going on. Paul is sending Timothy, his kind of protege, he's sending him out into the world now to learn and to serve and to lead uh, as a disciple of Jesus. And in this letter, he's, he's giving him advice about how to do that. In the last chapter of this first letter, Almost the entire chapter is about a very important subject as a leader and one who serves in the name of Jesus. It's about money. It's about wealth. And just prior to the lesson that we just heard, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, there are those who falsely teach that godliness is a means of gain. Hmm. This is what that sounds like in the modern age. If I have faith, then obviously I'll have money. If I have lots of faith, then I'll have lots of money. If I have a little bit of faith, then I won't have much money. If I want more money, I should have more faith. Success, worldly success, means I must have faith. I must be blessed. Hmm. That's what passes as religion for a whole lot of first world people. And frankly, it's a way of telling ourselves that since we have more, we must be worth more and justifying it. Paul goes on. This is what he says. He says, of course there's great gain in godliness if it's combined with contentment. We brought nothing into this world and we're not going to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. But those who want to be rich, doesn't say those who are rich, those who want to be rich fall into temptation, and they're trapped by senseless and harmful desires that plunge people 
into ruin. And here's a verse that you, you probably know the verse. Actually, you probably don't know it exactly the way it is in Scripture. People are always a little bit surprised by that, and you didn't know where it's at. It's in the sixth chapter of Timothy. Paul writes, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in the eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with unbelievable pain. And so that's, that's the question. How is it with you and money? Are you feeling content or are you feeling trapped? Anxious or free? Now look, if it was as simple as just like giving you a financial formula, I'd be all over that. I really would. Um, I wasn't sleeping through the four years in the Kelly School of Business and only about half of the time. Um, If it were just numbers, I can do that in about 30 seconds. Watch this. We call it 101080. Take the first 10% and give it to God. It helps you remember that you're part of a bigger world and God has blessed you. It helps you remember that you're not in charge. Give the first 10% to God. You'll feel better off for doing it. Second, save the next 10%. Plan. Think about the day down the road when you're going to need that money. If you've got a bunch of education debt, and frankly, if you're 35 and under, you, you got that debt, then do something about that debt with that 10% so that you can start saving the 10% when you get there. And then the other 80%, learn to live with that joyfully. Have as much fun as you can with it joyfully in the world. Receive it as the gift that it is, but learn to live within your means. It's called 10-10-80. Absolutely works. You go to any financial planner, that's what they're going to tell you to do. And I just gave it to you for free. Awesome. But it's not just about crunching the numbers, which is why people don't do it. There's something else in play. My dad used to say, there's a lot of funny business tied up in our money business. And that's the way it is. It's not just numbers. It's something bigger. Way back in Genesis, in the start of, of Scripture, there's this story about Adam and Eve. Many of you know the story. God gives Adam and Eve everything, gives them everything, gives them everything. Perfect world, perfectly suited just for them. And every bit of it is a gift. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. It was a gift. And all God asks of them is they just trust God and love God and thank God and do anything they want with it, enjoy it all, everything, just enjoy it. Other than this one thing, just don't mess with this one little tree in the middle because that belongs to me and I'm God. The only thing God wants in return from them is their love and their thanks and their childlike wonderment and joy of receiving the gifts that God offers. And that was called the Garden of Eden or sometimes called paradise. And at some point, as the mythic story goes, um, the tempter slithers into the story, and the serpent asks, hey, um, why do you think God is doing this? If God's given you all of this, all of these great things, why wouldn't God give you that little tree as well? Why wouldn't God give you that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Hey, maybe there's more. Don't you want to know? You're not going to be satisfied with everything, are you? If you knew, you'd have it all, and you'd be God. Ever since, so the story goes, when it comes to our relationship with things, and that's all money is, things, things have never been the same. 
Here's the way it looks in my life when I, when I draw out the spiritual timeline. I can trace nearly every feeling of stress and anxiety and fear and dread and doubt and discouragement. I can trace all of those feelings directly back to something that I think that I have somehow earned. It's something I deserve. Something that's mine. Something that I think I ought to be able to control. And conversely... I don't think I've ever experienced any of those feelings as a result of something that I have recognized as a gift, a gift from someone else, a gift from God. And I, I, I don't like admitting this in front of you all, but the truth is that when I've tried to seek control, the very things I try to control end up controlling me. And that's what's called the trap, money trap. Hayden Robinson says it like this. He says, money has a way of binding us to temporal things and blinding us to eternal things. It has this great analogy. He says, it's like the fly and the flypaper. And picture this guy, this great southern accent telling this little story. He says, the fly, fly lands on the flypaper and the fly says, this is my flypaper. But when the flypaper says, this is my fly, game over. And then he adds something that you'll notice in your financial autobiography. It is one thing to have money or not have money. It's another whole thing for money to have you. That's the trap. And that's the dirty little secret of the world we live in. That everything that this world lives, lifts up for us and tells us is going to bring happiness and freedom. Everything that the world says, this is going to give you the life that's really life. It doesn't always produce. Quite the opposite. It often binds us, puts us in bondage. The life we're being marketed, the life we're so frantically pursuing as a source of happiness cannot deliver the promises that it makes. It's counterfeit. It's, it's robbing us of the freedom and the joy for which we were created and which God intends for us. It withers like grass when adversity rears its head. Now, when I've come to realize as you do this journey with your biography, this gonna, you're going to see it as well, that all of us are, are in bondage to something. We're, we're all yoked to something. We we're all, we're all feel like we're, we're in bondage to something. And, and it can be a cause. It could be a set of values. It could be a way of life. Uh, even clamoring to be free, even saying my goal is to be financially free, you can quickly get into bondage to that. You can be financially free 30 years from now and never have a lick of joy until you get there. Ann's in El Salvador this week. Average income in U.S. dollars out in the country where she's at is $330 a month. In the city, about $600 a month. That's about four times more than people living in Haiti. I can assure you that most of the world's population does not have the opportunity to choose which burdens, which yokes they are going to carry. If you are sitting in this sanctuary today, you are privileged. You are privileged. You are blessed, blessed. But the sad, sad, sad truth, especially for those who are free in Christ, is that as blessed as we are, too many of us feel like we're trapped. Mm. And that's what we want to talk about these next couple of weeks. It is so easy to believe that a bigger house or better clothes or a new phone or a different car, uh, 
a generous gift to this charity or that charity or the church, that, that somehow my giving is going to make me happy, prove my worth to myself and to others and to God. But more often, the pursuit of possessions means longer hours, means neglected health, it means failed family and broken relationships and conflicted consciences and restless nights. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's, it's not what God wants for you. We have this great phrase here at Lord of Life. Generosity is not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. That's a very different thing. We have a very sharp congregation. I'm always a little worried, especially podcast world, that I'm going to say something you might not know that I, that I know. I know what the other questions are. So let me, let me just let's cover it real quick. Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked a lot about money, a lot. But he never, ever, ever taught anything about saving or spending or tithing. To be clear, we think 10, 10, 80 is an amazing financial way to be a disciple of Jesus in the world, a spiritual discipline, but Jesus never taught a lick about it, ever. For thousands of years, people have practiced tithing, giving back their first fruits in response to what God has done. It's very important. The opposite would be, let me tithe so that you will bless me. Very different. Because I am blessed, I'm going to tithe. Jesus, however, didn't talk about that at all. Jesus lifted up a widow who put everything in a plate, put 100% in a plate, her last mite. She didn't put 10% of her last mite, she put it all in. And at one point, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's a pretty big statement, especially if you are willing to do the hard work and ask, free from what? Free from what? Jesus said, I've come to set you free. We were created by a generous God to be free. That's the Adam and Eve story, a creative God showering us with generosity. Our worth is not found in what we have, what we wear, what we own, who likes us, who doesn't like us. Our worth is not found in things. Our worth is found in God, who loves us, who wants us to experience wonder and joy and abundance and freedom. When, When money is your God, you're never going to have enough. It's a trap. When God is your God, you're always going to be free. Hmm. I know that I'm swimming against the stream of mistrust. I, I, I know how this works. I know stereotypes about church, about preachers. I've heard them myself. They're only trying to get my money. There's a, there's a level of mistrust here. And I know that a lot of those stereotypes are earned. And no one believes in what this church, this church is doing in the world more than I do. And I hope that you will support it. But this series, this series has nothing to do with that. It's not about what we give to God. God doesn't need anything from us. This series is about God being God, generous and gracious and good. And it's about our knowing that and being free and content and experience the life that is really life. One of my pastoral colleagues this week, and I will not incriminate the person, posted on Facebook this message. I didn't win the Powerball. I guess we're going to have to have our stewardship emphasis again anyway. Wow. I want you to hear this. Had I won the Powerball, and I won a ticket... If I'd won a Powerball or any of you who are practicing 10, 10, 80, 
this church would be exceedingly blessed. But we'd still be having this series. Because it's not about money. It's about our relationship with money and our relationship with God and God's desire that we be free. Amen.